most people have commended the rapid growth or expansion of Christianity on the continent, particularly in sub-Saharan Africa. The church has grown significantly, but the challenge has always been the insufficient teaching related to insufficient trained pastors or Bible teachers. So there is a significant need to equip church leaders and pastors in particular in sound biblical preaching. My name is Angel Torero. I want to welcome you to On Mission with Chris Wright, a podcast produced by Langham Partnership. Visit langham.org to learn more about Langham. What can Christians in Indiana learn from Christians in Indonesia? How can church leaders in Mumbai equip pastors in Miami, which is where I live and serve? On this podcast, we listen in on conversations between Chris Wright and church leaders in Africa, Asia, and Latin America, where my family has their roots. We hope you discover how much wisdom the church in the West has to gain from their sisters and brothers in villages and towns around the world. This podcast is brought to you by the Langham Partnership, a ministry founded by John Stott, to equip church leaders in the majority world. Visit langham.org to learn more about Langham and explore more resources from global church leaders. Our host is Dr. Christopher J.H. Wright, known to many as Chris Wright, a respected theologian and award-winning author of more than 30 books, including critically acclaimed The Mission of God, Unlocking the Bible's Grand Narrative. When he's not writing books, Chris serves as International Ministries Director for Langham. Today, Chris talks with Femi Adeleye, an internationally renowned New Testament scholar, teacher, author, and leader for the global church. Originally from Nigeria, his biblical studies and his work, including decades in leadership with International Fellowship of Evangelical Students, have taken him across the continent and beyond. Today he serves in Ghana, where he leads Langham's pastor training movement in Africa. In part one of their conversation, Chris and Femi touch on some of the major challenges facing the church in Africa and the challenge from John Stott that sparked Femi's passion and ministry to see the gospel impacting Africa beyond just Sunday, but extending to every sphere of life. I hope you enjoy and stay tuned for part two of their conversation next week. Welcome to On Mission with me, Chris Wright, and today it's my great pleasure to introduce a very old friend of many years, Dr. Femi Adeleye. Welcome, Femi. Thank you so much. It's a delight for me to be with you. Indeed it is. Let me uh, just tell tell folks a little bit more about you, Femi, before we get into our conversation. Uh, Femi comes originally from Nigeria, but he now lives in Ghana, and we'll find out why a little bit later. He spent 32 years in student ministry in Nigeria and then with the International Fellowship of Evangelical Students, IFES, uh, and ended up, in fact, as the regional director for the whole of the English and Portuguese-speaking part of Africa, uh, which he did living in Zimbabwe at that time. But at the moment then, Femi, you're you're living in Ghana, and I think that's because you ended up doing your PhD there, didn't you? Yes, indeed. I'm originally from 
Nigeria, spent years doing ministry in Nigeria, and then began to travel a bit for studies, as well as ministry with the International Fellowship of Evangelical Students. And it's after my time as regional secretary based in Zimbabwe that I moved to Ghana to complete my doctoral studies under Dr. Kwame Bediako and Professor Andrew Walls. That's what brought me to Ghana primarily. Mm-hmm. And that was after you had done uh, earlier degrees, in fact, at Wheaton, I believe, and also in Edinburgh. So you've uh, done your, your theological degrees on different continents, and that's, that's a great experience. Yes, I'm, I must backdate, though, that uh, initially, especially when I was a student, we didn't value theological studies. We, we were told, well, once you are filled with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit will lead you into all truth. Mm-hmm. Until I read a very small book, I still have a copy with me, Your Mind Matters mm-hmm. by Uncle John Stott. And that got me thinking about theological studies because my background was sociology. And that's how I ended up, after four years in student ministry, going to Whitting Graduate School for some biblical studies. Mm-hmm. And from then on to Edinburgh to do an MTH and subsequently my PhD in Ghana. Mm. Which is why you're also a Langham scholar. But your your present role, uh, Femi, is actually as the director for Langham Preaching in Africa. So tell us a little bit about that. Uh, what, what does that involve? Yes, most people have commended the rapid growth or expansion of Christianity on the continent, particularly in sub-Saharan Africa. The church has grown significantly, but the challenge has always been the insufficient teaching related to insufficient trained pastors or Bible teachers. So there is a significant need to equip church leaders and pastors in particular in sound biblical preaching. Much of the preaching many of us grew up with was allegorical and a lot of isogesis written into the text what is not there. So there's always been a burden on my heart to participate in equipping pastors. So Laham preaching gives me the opportunity to do a lot of that with some of my friends. We serve together on the Laham preaching team. We run training sessions, seminars, both for pastors and lay persons interested in understanding scripture better and how to teach or preach it. I was looking just at the very recent statistics of the number of preaching movements in Africa, and I gather that out of the 90 or so preaching movements around the world uh, in all continents, some 30 actually are in Africa. So that's that's a pretty large number of movements that you're overseeing in West and East and South Africa, basically everywhere below the Sahara, I think you're in charge of. Is that right? Yes, but the key word is oversee because I don't do it alone. <laughs> I have a team of reliable friends, a good team of people committed to the same mission. Absolutely. That, that's wonderful. Let, let's come back for a moment to uh, to Ghana, uh, where you are now. And of course, after you finished your PhD there at the Akrofi Kristaller Institute, 
Uh, you've stayed on and founded an institute of your own. Uh, so could you tell us a bit about that Institute for Christian Impact and what is its vision or your vision for it? Well, the, the vision of the Institute for Christian Impact is really to see the church in Africa engaging biblically, but also effectively with some of the complex realities in our context. So we are committed to equipping leaders to meet the growing challenge of the growing church and to help Christians bring their faith to bear on every sphere of engagement. And this stems from our observation that in spite of the significant growth of the church, there is gap between what people believe or profess and what they actually practice. Sometimes the way we illustrate it is to say there's a gap between Sunday and the rest of the week. Mm. Our churches are full on Sundays, but Monday through Saturday, we, are, we hear of corruption in politics, corruption in business. And people tend to just fall into the trap of the sacred secular divide withdraws dichotomy between what is considered spiritual and what is considered secular. So our aim in the Institute is really to challenge Christians to think differently towards bridging this gap. That uh, sacred secular divide that you refer to was one of the things that, as you call him, Uncle John, John Stott, was so opposed to and really wanted to eradicate has some of your vision for this, your institute, come from him and what he founded here? Oh, de definitely. Definitely his work at um, All Souls, as well as LICC in London. Actually, LIC LICC stands for the London Institute for Contemporary Christianity, just so that people know. That, that's right. And in fact, I believe it was in the early 90s, a friend of mine, David Zak, who once served as the Bishop of Kampala, both of us had a conversation with Uncle John and said to him, your book, Issues Facing Christians Today, mostly addresses issues facing the Western world. Hmm. What do we do about issues in our context? And he threw the challenge back to us you need to think about issues in your context and how to respond to them biblically. Mm -hmm. So that actually led Zach and I to conversations about starting an institute that can respond to those challenges. In fact, when we first got going in 1999, Uncle John Stott was the keynote speaker at our inaugural seminar as well as a public lecture we had in Kampala in 1999, which was attended by businessmen and politicians. So he has influenced us greatly, and he continues to be a role model for our engagement in the Institute for Christian Impact. One of the things that we need to talk about in, in these podcasts, because they're called On Mission, is, well, what is mission? And... I think 
I know that the student movement and all the movements associated with IFES are very committed to leading students to faith in Christ uh, and discipling and building them up in faith. Evangelism among students is obviously what you personally were involved in for more than 30 years. And everybody, I think, would say, well, that's mission. But if someone were to say to you, this institute and this business people and political people and professional people, what has that got to do with, with Christian mission? Is that really mission? Well, our, our conviction is to depart from previous thinking that mission is evangelism and preparing people to go to heaven. That was what most of us had in earlier days, and which, in fact, some churches still teach today. So the focus is on salvation, being saved, and going, going to heaven. But the spheres of business, of vocation, vocations such as being mechanics or seamstresses, or even being in the hospitality industry, are considered secular. Mm. So in the past, in many African countries, politics and governance are considered dirty. They are mm. unclean. So Christians should not be involved or engaged in such because it will pollute them or distract them from their focus on being like Jesus and going to heaven. Now, reading the scriptures, we find that mission is not limited to what we have segregated as spiritual. But in fact, the mission of God embraces all spheres of life all aspects of life, including the environment. Recently, I was leading a webinar for uh, various staff workers of different Christian ministries in Nigeria. It included NIFES, the Navigators, the Campus Crusade, Camp, uh, Youth for Christ, and others. And some of them in our conversation were surprised when I said, God in Deuteronomy spoke concerning even toilet habits. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. You know, so <laughs> is right. issues related to sanitation, mm -hmm. issues related mm -hmm. to the environment. Mm -hmm. A good reading of the Old Testament suggests that all spheres of life are sacred and we should engage with them missionally. So we're challenging people to think of their vocation and what they do in the public sphere as mission and part of the mission of God. Thank you, Femi. I've just been reading uh, the history of the church in Africa by Mark Shaw and Wanjiru Gitao from Kenya. She's from Kenya. Right. The book is called The, Ki the Kingdom of God in Africa, and I believe that you know the book. Uh, it's a wonderful history, searching right back to, to um, the, the New Testament, really, and to the church in North Africa. But one of the things that struck me was that for, for many years, prior to the modern missionary movement and the kind of theology that you've just described, you know, that the only real mission is preparing people for heaven, those early churches of Africa and the early uh, African indigenous missionary movements had a much more holistic understanding of the impact of the gospel on society uh, and in seeking to create, you know, in a sense, a Christian polity, Christian economics and so on. 
we sometimes mock that a little, talking about, you know, it was just Christianity and commerce and so on. But I gather you've read that book, and I just wonder whether that would be your perception also. Yes, indeed it is. Uh, it actually speaks against or speaks to the misconception that Christianity is a Western religion, or as mm. it was put in the past, in the past, the white man's religion. I think Shaw's work demonstrates that the church actually had significant roots on the continent, even before it spread or grew in some other parts of the world. So I, I commend that book. And in fact, I also recommend, along with reading that, The Kingdom of God in Africa, I recommend Thomas Odin's work, How Africa Shaped the Christian Mind, which also mm -hmm. goes into the background of the history of the church, not only in Ethiopia, but in places like Egypt. And last year, I came across another book by Thomas Odin, The African Memory of Mark, of St. Mark. Mm -hmm. And I think if people can dig a bit into this, we find a precedence of in our context, we'll say our ancestors, those who have gone before us, who have embraced biblical truth and were committed to seeing the faith impact all spheres of life. So it's, uh, Shaw's book is a significant one and actually it should be a textbook in most of our seminaries. Mm -hmm. I think it has been written to be a textbook. That's that's the one by Mark Shaw and Wanjiro Gitao. Uh, the one that you mentioned was by Thomas Oden. That's O-D-E-N. And what was the title again? How Africa Shipped the Christian Mind. And mm, the, the subheading is Rediscovering the African Seedbed of Western Christianity. Thank you. There's so much in that, and and uh, we could we could spend the rest of the conversation just talking about the history of the African Church in Egypt, Sudan, Ethiopia. I'm amazed to realize that uh, Frumentius from the Middle East, who became a bishop down in Ethiopia, uh, was the bishop there of of the church in 350 A.D. That's a hundred years before St. Patrick brought the gospel to my country of Ireland. Uh, there was a Christian king and civilization there in, in Ethiopia. It's just an amazing story. But we need to come back to modern times and to your native country. You live now in Ghana, but your native country, of course, is Nigeria. And I remember, uh, Femi, how you once said to me that Nigeria has always exported the best and the worst uh, of Christian reality, not only to the rest of Africa, but indeed to the world. I wonder whether you would expand on that a little bit. I'm sure you're part of the best <laughs> of the exports, but <laughs> yes. <laughs> but uh, yeah, what, what do you mean by that? Let me focus a little bit on the best. Okay. Uh, I should underline that with the fact that most Nigerians are eternal optimists. Most Nigerians are hardworking. Most Nigerians are persevering. So in the right environment, they excel. In fact, people 
have been trailed by the thought of the president-elect of the United States hiring a Nigerian young man as a deputy secretary for, I think it's commerce or economics. But you find in NASA Space Center, Nigerians are actively involved there. A former Nigerian minister of finance, Ingozi Iwela, is now more or less shortlisted to be the next president of the World Trade Organization. And I can go on and on to find Nigerians in Ivy League institutions, Western world, in Asia, in Latin America. So hard working, often through discipline. And uh, so that's the best part. But, yeah, and also, of course, uh, predominant. I mean, I, I gather that it's it's about a quarter of all uh, Black Africans would be Nigerian. Is, that's is that right. Correct? I mean, the it's population is, is is incredibly large. It's the largest country. It is. Our population mm. is put at about a hundred, uh, two hundred million, but most mm. people say that's an underestimation of the real mm. of the reality. But Nigerians are also great travelers. We more or less just go to anywhere in the world we can find space to pursue our dreams or our sense of God's call. So it's not strange to find Nigerians who embrace the idea of taking the gospel back to the West or taking the, the gospel to Asia, taking the gospel to Latin America. For many years, the largest church in Europe was the one in Kiev, Ukraine, led by Sunday Adelaide, a Nigerian. Many African-led churches in, in London, in the UK, yep. are Nigerian-led. So there, there is exactly. that passion to, to commit life and vocation to what they believe we honor God. However, there's the counterpart in which sometimes even those who do things like that cut corners, disobeying laws of some of the countries they are in, or teaching false doctrine. We, we found that the roots of the prosperity or health and gospel, health and wealth gospel, the, the, the seedbed was actually Nigeria. So we had American televangelists coming to train and equip Nigerians, and through them, this spread to most other parts of the continent. So unfortunately, we have some among us who do not represent us well. Mm. And you yourself have uh, both studied and written about the prosperity gospel. Uh, Preachers of Another Gospel, I think, is the title of, of your book. Tell us a little bit more about that. I mean, why why does it have such an appeal in Africa? And w why, what is the Christian response to be, since it is so popular, obviously, with, with Christian churches, with mega pastors and so on? Well, in, in the African worldview, the idea of success has some things to do with how prosperous people are. Mm. Beat in their vocation, a farmer who has a good harvest, most parents mm. who also want their children to prosper. And in the past, such prosperity comes through hard work, diligence, and discipline. 
Unfortunately and sadly, because of the acute poverty, I will, I will put this back to the early 80s, particularly in my own country, Nigeria, when in spite of the discovery of oil due to corruption, there was still significant poverty. We had televangelists coming in, more or less offering shortcuts to the good things in life. So the gospel is seen as a means. The understanding of tithing or giving to God was taught as an investment. For instance, if you give God one pound, it will reward you with 10 pounds, or give God $10, it will reward you with $100. And this was so attractive because some of those who teach this live very flamboyant lives. They, they have good automobiles. In, in Nigeria, many have private jets. So the young people who see this flamboyance or aspects of it, sometimes combining the lifestyle of the televangelist with the movie stars out of Hollywood, yeah. also aspire for that kind of lifestyle. Unfortunately, it is often the gospel that is twisted or wrongly taught as a means to such prosperity. So that's what gave me a burden to challenge students to think differently by understanding what scripture says about wealth, about prosperity, and in fact, how God intends for us to live simply. That's it for today's episode. Join us next week for part two of Chris and Femi's talk. They'll continue their conversation on Femi's passion to see the African church bridge the gap between faith and life. And we'll hear about how God is at work today among his people in Ghana and Nigeria. Again, I'm Angel Torero, and thank you for joining me for On Mission with Chris Wright, a podcast produced by Langham Partnership. Visit langham.org to discover how they multiply and equip leaders around the world. If you enjoyed today's conversation, will you let us know by giving us a review and sharing this with a friend? And then join me for future episodes where we'll be talking to leaders in Zambia, Palestine, Kenya, Brazil, and beyond. We look forward to having you join for our next episode of On Mission with Chris Wright. In the meantime, God bless. God bless.